Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations of the Way. This is actually the last episode of this series in the genealogy of Jesus. What a journey we have been on for the last few weeks. All of this started with wanting to dig deeper into the book of Ruth. And this led me to learn about the Moabites and the Canaanites. I learned about the genealogy of the Messiah and the other women in his lineage. Most importantly, it solidified what I already knew. That our God is a redemptive God. You know what I mean if you heard the past episodes. I don't think I've done so much research and placed so much thought and prayer to a series like this one. It challenged me. And I believe it's extremely important to read the scriptures ourselves and ask His Holy Spirit to guide us in understanding. With that said, I would not feel right if I didn't complete the series without talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, the last woman mentioned in his lineage. One thing I did promise myself when I started this podcast is to not create episodes just to do it. My goal was always to have one episode per week, but I have not for various reasons. I don't want to create episodes if my heart and mind are not in the right place. These are fun but serious conversations as we're talking about our Creator, Savior, and Redeemer. I need to be confident that I'm not being a stumbling block to anyone and that I'm pointing you to the straight and narrow path. I say all of this because for this episode, it's going to feel like I'm calling out bullet points. I'm going to mention some things that I found interesting, and as I've, as I've, done to, as I've dove into the scriptures in the last few years, I'm not going to go in too deep, but I hope we can all glean a little bit from all of this. In past episodes, I've mentioned that I really wasn't a student of the Word of God. I went to church occasionally in my younger years, once a week. I heard what the man at the pulpit said, thought about it while he was talking, and really didn't think, I'm, really didn't think much of it again. As I got older, I went to church more, but I really didn't read or study the Word of God on my own. You're never going to get a deeper understanding or increase your relationship with him unless you do that. I'm convinced of this. So, if I say anything that sounds obvious, well, it wasn't obvious for me when I started reading the scriptures on my own. I find it interesting that it was already prophesied that our Savior will come from the womb of a virgin. Isaiah was a prophet from the 8th century before Christ. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, it states, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. End quote. And this is verified in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 23. Emmanuel means God with us. You can argue that, right from the start, it is being claimed that Jesus is God. The other argument is this. Is the other argument is this is figuratively, and I see how it could be, but as you read through the Gospels, you can see that Jesus is God. But this conversation is for another day. Another argument related to the virgin birth is that Mary was not a virgin, because the definition of virgin really means a young maiden of marriageable age. This is true, but that doesn't mean she wasn't a virgin. When you read the scripture, you must try your best to transport yourself to that time. 
you cannot read it with your 21st century glasses. This is a culture that held high moral standards and righteous traditions. Young men and women were not promiscuous. It was expected for a woman to be undefiled, to have never known a man before marriage. You could get into a lot of trouble if you said you had never known a man, and it was not true. You can read more of this in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13 through 21. Now, keep in mind that Joseph was already married to her, but had not yet to have relations with her. This is again one of those cultural things to keep in mind. In our culture, we think of the wedding, and then a couple has relations. To my understanding, in that time, it was different. It wasn't unusual to get married, and then the wife would go back to her parents for a period, for up to a year, if I remember right. But, you know what, let me find the article and read it to you. I don't often read articles here, but I think it is appropriate for this one. Okay, this comes from the website godquestions.org. And the question is, what were common marriage customs in Bible times? This is a website that I believe is a pretty good one, but I'll keep insisting that it's better for you to read the scriptures on your own. We all make mistakes, and believe it or not, not everything on the internet is true or real. It's crazy, huh? I digress, and I'm going to read you most of the article. It says, A Jewish betrothal was an important part of the marriage process and was as binding as marriage itself. Those initiating the betrothal and witnesses to the event would likely sign a marriage contract called a ketubah. Therefore, if one or both parties wished to end the, the betrothal, they would be required to get a divorce. We see this in the case of Mary and Joseph, who were pledged to be married. When Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, Joseph considered divorcing Mary quietly to protect her reputation. Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 19. However, after an angel visited Joseph in the night, Joseph decided to continue their betrothal. As a betrothed couple, Mary and Joseph were essentially husband and wife, and they later married. Verse 24. Although, although they did not consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. Verse 25. It was a common custom for the bride to join the groom's father's household rather than the groom, and the bride established their own household. So, if the bride and groom were of a marriageable age, the groom will return to his father's house after the betrothal to prepare a bridal chamber. This process traditionally took a year or more, the length of time being dictated by the groom's father. When the place was complete, the groom will return and fetch his bride. The bride will not know the day or hour of her husband's to be returned, so the groom's arrival was usually announced with a trumpet called and a shout, so the bride had some forewarning. Okay, pause right here. How interesting is this? We can argue that is where this is where we are right now in our in our current time. We are in this we're in the betrothal stage right now, but we have not gone through the more marriage portion of it. We are in anticipation, waiting for Jesus to come back to us, 
And I believe prophecy states that we're going to hear a trumpet upon his return. In the meantime, we must stay pure, clean, white as snow, even when we do not know when he's coming back. So he can accept us as his bride. Um, this is the that bridegroom concept we hear so much about. I would also like to add that it says here that um, talks about the trumpet. And it is said that we don't know the time and the day when he's coming back. Now, we may, may not know exactly the time and date, like exactly it. And there's reasons for that that we'll, we'll talk about some other time. But what's interesting is that, you know, back then they had um, festivals. And one of the festivals is the Feast of Trumpets. And for that feast, they blow trumpets. So there's a possibility that around that time of the Feast of Trumpets, when the trumpets are blown, that is when our Messiah will come back for his bridegroom. And interestingly, interestingly enough, that feast is coming up soon, um, September, October timeline. So you never know. So we might as well be ready. Okay, continuing with the article. Before the ceremony, which was attended by a select few, most likely family, the bride will take part in a ritual cleansing. After the ceremony, the, co the couple will attend a wedding feast in their honor. It was customary for a wedding feast to include a much larger crowd than the ceremony itself, and it was a great celebration provided by the groom's family. Jesus himself attended a wedded feast in Cana, where he performed his first miracle of turning water into wine. After this marriage feast, the groom's family had run out of wine, which could have dangered their reputation. So Jesus' mother's mother, Mary, appealed to him for help on behalf of the family. Jesus responded by turning the water into even better wine than the family had served previously. For a full account of the wedding account, I see John, John chapter 2, verse 1-12. through 12. The article continues, In his time on earth, Jesus often used Jewish married customs as a beautiful allegory of God's relationship with the church, his bride. Jesus purchased believers with his blood, shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, and, 11, chapter, and chapter 11, verse 25. He is currently preparing a place for us, John chapter 14, verse 3, and at a future time no one knows, Matthew chapter 24, 36, he will return for his bride with a trumpet call and a shout. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 through 17. The dead in Christ and those alive in him will be taken to heaven, where they will be joined forever with the Lord, Revelation chapters 19, 7, and take part in the marriage feast of the Lamb, verse 9. The article ends there, and I hope this helped to, uh, to get you an understanding of the culture and mindset of the times. Beautiful stuff. It would be great if we adopted some of this, if not all of this, for our generations. Well, sometimes I know which way I'm, I'm going to go when I'm writing an episode, but I'm always surprised where he leads me to. So, uh, you know, none of this was 
necessarily plan. I just I just go with it and see where it goes. And um, I think it was good that he opened our eyes to so many interesting things with the bridegroom, the feast, the trumpet call, and all of that. Final thoughts. One thing I like to do is read the scriptures keeping a certain character in mind. So as you read the gospel, try to do the best of your ability on how you will think as a young Jewish Jewish young lady of that time. Of course, it is almost impossible to do that, to do so if you're not, right? But that is why we must search for like extra historical and cultural reading to kind of fill in the gaps. Let's see if I can bring up some things to think about as you read the Gospels with Mary in mind. Mary was a young lady of about 16 years old. This seems very young for our culture, but I have a feeling young ladies back then were extremely mature in mind, body, and spirit. Yes, it is different now, and it should be. Different culture. But that doesn't take away that she was young and probably feeling confused and overwhelmed. You may also think that she was a poor, uneducated girl. I don't see any evidence of this. She was probably well-read in the Torah, what we know as the Old Testament. That means that she knew about angels and she knew about the coming of, of, of God in the flesh. So, what does this mean? When the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 29, she was greatly troubled. Why? Well, she grew up hearing and reading about the, these messengers, these angels of God. And if you go back and read the scriptures, angels created a lot of destruction. I'm assuming she was hoping that wasn't the case. And when the angel told her she was going to bear the son of the Most High, could it be possible that the prophecy of Isaiah came to her mind? Mary always believed in her son when others did not. Jesus' brother James didn't even believe that Jesus was who he was until after his resurrection, I believe. What a strong woman Mary came to be as she carried such a heavy burden but was faithful from beginning to end. Okay, guys, I hope you you guys enjoyed the series. I have so many feelings right now as I end this. Um, I know that this is, will not be the last time we touch on this subject again. I hope the last few episodes have blessed you. I hope that it has strengthened your faith in the Messiah or or, or Redeemer, um, Jesus, Yeshua. And um, I hope that it um, all these things have intrigued you to go back and read the Word of God um, on your own. Um, it's great to hear a podcast. Uh, it's, it's great to hear somebody from the pulpit at times. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but there is nothing better than going to a room by yourself and just being, being in prayer and just having conversations with him like you would with your own earthly father or with a good friend. Um, obviously, you know, understanding that he, he is God, he is, he's the king, he's your creator. So it needs to be some reverence there. Um, but he loves you very much and he just, he wants to have that relationship with you. He wants you to talk to him on a daily basis about anything, anything. It doesn't matter how little it is. He wants that. And um, besides prayer, one of the best ways to get to know him is through his word, through reading the scriptures. And 
I know that it can seem overwhelming sometimes, but that's okay. He's going to he's going to guide you through it. If you really ask him um, for clarity, for understanding as the good loving father that he is, he'll give you that. And all these things are going to start, you know, getting put together like a puzzle. And you see all that. And that comes with time. That comes with righteousness. That comes with, you know, living set apart. Um, you know, repenting of our ways. Turning back on, on this world. And living a righteous life. A good life. And you're not going to get it right every time. Um, but as long as your heart is to follow that straight and narrow path. And not the, the wide path path which only leads to destruction then he will lovingly carry you through it all all right everyone um i'll see you next time be blessed and shalom